You have just downloaded the Barbecue Central Show, which airs live every Tuesday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Barbecue Central Show is brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology. They can be found at thebbqguru.com or call them 800-288-GURU. And by the Chops Power Injector System, the 2015 Barbecue Tool of the Year at the NBBQA. Find them at barbecuekansascity.com. And by Butcher Barbecue. From injections to rubs to sauces, always trust your butcher at butcherbbq.com. And by Big Papa Smokers, your one-stop online shop for everything and anything that has to do with barbecue. Their website is bigpapasmokers.com. And by Cook Shack Pellet and Electric Grills. Visit them at pelletcooker.com or cookshack.com or call them 800-423-0698. And by Cookin' Pellets, you can buy Cookin' Pellets at cookinpellets.com. You can also visit amazon.com to purchase as well. And by Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet grills on the market today. You can visit them at greenmountaingrills.com. This is Rennie Kanoff with ChampionshipBBQ.TV, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. All right, good evening, and welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. We broadcast live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have you. A phone call is all it takes, 216-220-0966. Alternatively, you could also email the show, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be uh, jostled around at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. Greg, no swag tonight. What are you talking about? No swag. Bro, I'm a swag as it comes, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm trying to keep it professional today, Matt. Matt, I have to be a pro sometimes. Tonight is that one time of the year where I'm proing it. Yeah. You like my stripes? Stripes make me look thin. As I had mentioned, anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com, archives, ways to shine, uh, ways to sign up for the newsletter, all of this stuff. Referencing the newsletter, in case you didn't get it, at about 16.06 today, here's what's happening on the show. While I can't tell you with 100% honesty that the show was chock full of guests, what I can tell you is the show is chocked 
full of two of potentially the best guests that I have had in recent memory taking the first hour. This is the other thing these guests are doing. One has one hour. One has the second hour. How about that? Rarely happens on this show where two guests carry the boat and me. In the first hour, starting at 914 this evening and, uh, you know, going all the uh oh, and then going all the way through that first hour. As you hearken back and you think of some of the most uh, tremendously competitive and successful and respected and well-liked pit masters over the course of the last handful of years, this guy certainly ranks among the tops as you uh, start to take that survey of, you know, in secret, who do you really like? Who do you want to see? Who do you want to compete against? Plus, do an incredible amount of winning and have won really big-time championships to include the 2014 Sam's Club National Championship overall. So he had to do pretty well to get there, and then he won it. And he also, in the same year, won the uh, Team of the Year for Georgia in 2014. Hence, same year, not to be redundant. Make sure I got this uh, phone number all set. All right, that's the one I want. However, the story that we will be talking about tonight is uh, one of competition, one of survival, one of resilience, and uh, probably by and large, uh, as he looks back, thankfulness, gratefulness on many fronts. And, of course, a, a big portion of that has to do with the barbecue community as a whole. And then specifically on the competition side of things, if you don't know what I'm talking about now, you will certainly get all of the background, the ins and outs. I've been told that there is no question that is off base or that uh, won't be answered. Although I'm sure I could think of something because I'm that kind of a douche nozzle at nine 14. He will be here to lay down an interview that, uh, has all the makings of an instant classic. And for all the right reasons, Pitmaster of Killer Bees Barbecue, Jim Berg, will join me in the first hour. That's going to be great. Then we'll move to the second hour, and we will finish what uh, or cap off what is now marked the month of individual Team of the Year category winners of 2015, breaking down how they did how they do their specific meat that they want. So all the way back three weeks ago, we had Sterling Ball on, and he talked about his pork process. The week after that, we had Tim Shear, Shake and Bake, in ribs, and the tallest man in barbecue, by the way. Last week, Brad Leiniger from Getting Basted dropped mad science on that ass when it came to chicken and was Mere points away from pulling off a brisket uh, team of the year event as well uh, for that category win. And then tonight we cap it all off with that exact category, the brisket category, winning that one, a team that finished third overall last year in the points race 
aside from the pork, uh, in top 10 in all the other categories. We'll talk to him about pork. And has started out this year cooking their face off yet again. Uh, at least two grand championships, at least one reserve that I can count. Doing a little show prep here before we got on the air live. So having another, probably by their standards, another ho-hum, this is how we do it here. But winning twice already. And and the most impressive thing, and I say time and time again, through winning through various sanctioning bodies, we will close out the Pitmaster tutorial month-long sessions with none other than the Pitmaster of Iowa's Smoky D's, Darren Worth, will join me. We'll hit brisket. It'll be great. So I want to shout out Heath Riles for uh, two things. One, not so great. Uh, I don't know if you uh, follow him on Facebook or not, but Heath did lose his dad at the very end of last week. And... uh, uh, from what I understood, he was sick. So I don't, you know, it's always a surprise, even when you're expecting it. I'm sure it's always a surprise. So uh, thoughts to his family and uh, you know everybody that's uh, enduring that loss of Heath's dad. However, before that, I had reached out to Heath in regards to doing a spotlight segment on the upcoming barbecue roundup show on that butter bath wrap. Situation. Has anybody heard about this? The butter bath wrap. Chad Ward used it in the contest in a popka that he won. Unless I'm mistaken, but I believe I heard him say he used the butter bath wrap. And it had my mind racing. So I reached out to him and I said, and I wasn't asking for anything. I just said, hey, I would love to do a segment with you on this, where your mind and how you came up with it and all this other because it's supposed to replace putting all of the uh, brown sugar and the butter and the apple juice and all this other stuff. You have it in the bag and you you pour it, you, you add liquid to it, and then you wrap it up and there you go. Making it easy as as you will. So he sent me some of that. However, he sent me all of this stuff as well. What? He one tangy sauce, one sweet sauce, one mild sauce, one original barbecue sauce, one based and marinade pint. Two butter bath wraps, one pork injection, one gold dust shaker, one sweet rub shaker, an all-purpose barbecue rub, a cherry bomb shaker, a nutty pecan shaker, a sassy apple shaker, a peach shaker, and a partridge in a pear tree. Holy moly. Heath Riles uh, doing it right. I mean, gave me everything on the list. So here's what I'm saying. If you're interested in checking it out, uh, email Heath. Heath at VictoryLanesBBQ.com, or you can visit their website, VictoryLaneBBQ.com. Get them on Facebook and Twitter. Looks like they also cater as well. His phone number is 662-224-5097. Again, uh, Heath at VictoryLaneBBQ.com, or visit the website, VictoryLaneBBQ.com. I have another story to get to, uh, but that will have to wait until the top of the second hour, assuming I even have time for it. Then uh, we have Jim Berg coming up out of the break. So you're, everybody's going to want to stick around for that. Everybody's going to want to be ready. Tell, tell all your friends and neighbors that Jim is getting ready to come on, and we're going to talk. We're going to get deep with Jim. First, let me talk to you about Cook Shack, manufacturers, 
smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience. Whether you barbecue in the backyard, in the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility, Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job for you. And with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, it's the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, smoking, grilling 101s, and a video cooking classroom. Check out their website, cookshack.com, or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the Twitter, Pinterest, and Google+. Get advice or share your passion for barbecue on their world-class barbecue forum. Cookshack pellet-fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion. Ed Fast Eddie Morin, the FEC 100, the PG 1000 are always customer favorites. The PG 1000 can double as a smoker and a low and slow or hot and fast pellet grill. It gives you the most for your money. QPR, that's what we always talk about on the show. Cook Shack residential electric smokers are the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cook Shack, and that's the bottom line. Passion and dedication drives Cook Shack's manufacturing, with quality always being the top priority. It's always at the forefront. Call Stuart Powell. See what he thinks. Have a discussion with Stuart. You know he's going to bring it to you straight. Get the best in barbecue since 1962 and call 800-423-0698. That's 800 800- 423-0698 or again visit their website cookshack.com that is cookshack.com alright uh, we're going to wrangle up Jim Berg we're going to talk about the end of 2014 the beginning of 2015 we'll see where we end up after that you're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central radio network stick around we'll be right back From the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Welcome back. 216-220-0966. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. This portion of the Barbecue Central Show being brought to you by Green Mountain Grills, manufacturers of some of the best pellet cookers on the market today. If you're looking for a big cooker to house a lot of food, they got one for you. How about something medium-sized? They got you covered there, too. 
How about something to take on the tailgates? No problem. They got it all for you. You can also get wood pellets there to fire those cookers too. Check them out at GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. I love my Green Mountain Grill. You could love yours too if you just check out the website. All right, my guest in the first hour is a very successful competition cook. He was a 2014 Sam's Club National Barbecue Champ, as I had mentioned in the open. Also won the 2014 Georgia Barbecue Team of the Year. Things were rolling right along, and that's where we pick up the story tonight. To say that I am honored that he is coming on the show would be an understatement. To say that I am happy to even be interviewing him at all, well, that's something I am very grateful for. So let's go ahead and race to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, the pit master of Killer Bees Barbecue, Jim Berg, joining me here on the show. Jim, how are you, buddy? So, uh, stumbling right out of the blocks as I am ought to do here on this show, Jim. Of course, you know about that. So, I know know all about that. Yeah. So let's. Uh, let's, I just want to appreciate you laying it on a little thick in the intro. That's that's really good. Yeah. No. I mean, it's uh, it's it's thick, but it's true. So, uh, and and I guess let's roll it back a little bit for the for the folks that you know maybe tune in for the first time tonight, or maybe they're not. You know, really focused or or laser focused on the competition scene at this point, but you know, might be thinking about getting into it. I think you have a, a unique story. You know, before all of this happened, so if you could just give us that little uh, bit of background about how you got into the competition scene, what was the the impetus, or who kind of convinced you to to get in this thing and give it a shot? Well, we had uh, originally done a couple local contests around here. It's mainly for cooks. Uh, cooking for kids, which was local charity, and we had to do wild game and barbecue. And we had small game, big game fish, and then barbecue. And uh, we stumbled into that uh, through Ducks Unlimited. And uh, by our second year, we were winning about every category, and barbecue was one of them. Well, after about the third year of doing that, I entered barbecue twice, which they said I could do. And my wife was saying there's no way they're going to give you you know, two out of the top three, even if you make it. It's just, you know, they're not going to do it. Well, I took first and second in barbecue that year. <laughs> and, you know, pissed a lot of people off. But, you know, I just wanted to see how how, how they scored it and everything and just see if they were honest, and they were. Um, we went and did one contest that year, uh, which was boss hog, and we got a call in brisket. And what was funny was I'd never even seen a brisket, took the brisket, much less eating a brisket. And we ended up camped, and we're up against Myron Mixon, Bubba Q, Wiki Q, all these great Georgia teams. And uh, so I felt like we won the Daygum contest. But the following year was a turning point. Uh, we are doing a local contest around here and had some heavy hitters down there, Tuffy and Johnny and all them were down there. And uh, had this guy next to me. Uh, I didn't really know who he was. Like I said, I was just getting in the barbecue and he had offered, you know, to help us out a little bit. I had some guys there that helped us set up because we were vending also. And we helped them get set up, you know, what we could, what they wanted to help with. And uh, we just formed a, a good little friendship there. Well, unbeknownst to me, uh, he'd give me some, some pointers and some tips and, you know, in just about every category, he didn't have to, but he did. And, you know, he, he's kind of like promoting barbecue. And being all said and done, he ended up reserving the contest. 
and everybody around the country knows who this man is, and he really influenced me. Not only uh, did I take his class the following year or whatever, but he uh, instilled in me that, you know, it's all about promoting barbecue. If you love barbecue, then promote it in the best way possible. And, you know, if you can help another team or point them in the right direction or, you know, feed them a couple little tidbits here and there to kind of get them going, uh, you're going to have a thing for life. Well, everybody knows him as Rod Grace until it ended. And he really turned us around. And uh, I'd promise him that if he had a class on this side of Mississippi, I would take it. Well, that next year he had one in Hammond, Louisiana. And so I went down and took it. It was a nine-hour drive for me, took his class, only for him to come back the next year and have one one mile from my house. So, <laughs> of course, it, it was a trade-off, but but he really got me going and started in the right direction. And we always instilled the thing about promote barbecue and helping a, a new team or a young team or a backyard team or whatever that's struggling. Just you know, give them some pointers and some feedback, and that's the way we've been living our barbecue life. Jim Berg joining me here on the show, pitmaster of Killer Bees Barbecue Team. All right, Jim, so let's go ahead and, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. As I had mentioned in the open, uh, the end of 2014 was absolutely spectacular. You win uh, the Sam's Club National Barbecue Tour overall championship, which means you had to do pretty good in the local qualifier to get into the regional, and then you had to do pretty good to get regional into the national, and then you win the national. So that was great. And on top of that, you win Georgia Barbecue Team of the Year as well. So here's the question. You roll into 2015. And uh, right. you, you have the event, uh, I guess. And I guess leading up to it, Jim, did you have kind of like this general not feeling well kind of a, a situation? You know, a lot of people, they don't feel well for a while. And, and then they're like, well, okay, well, I guess I'll just go to the doctor. And, and maybe nothing's wrong or maybe something's wrong. And they're like, ah, I shouldn't have let it go so long, this, that, and the other thing. Or did you have like a, an acute onset of sickness or, or something that just kind of hit you out of left field? I'll tell you what, uh, when this thing hit, it hit like a locomotive and I'm not exaggerating one bit. Uh, I was literally talking to one of my students. We were up in Lexington, North Carolina and it was, you know, around 12.30, 1 o'clock or whatever uh, on Friday. i just gotten through prepping my meat and everything. And, you know, I told anybody who took my class or whatever that if they had some more questions at a contest and I had time, I'd come over and answer them, you know, and tell them what I thought. And uh, So we just went going over a couple things, and my stomach just started not feeling well. And uh, I felt like I was going to have an upset stomach or something. So I said... Yeah, I'm going to mosey back onto my trailer, over to my trailer and just, you know, lay down for a few minutes. And uh, I get to my trailer, and it, it started, my stomach's starting to hurt a little bit more. And my wife was walking her dog, and she comes by and puts him in the trailer, and she looks at me, and she goes, you all right? And I said, not really. And by that time, my stomach just turned. I had to get up, run to the back, and throw up in the trash can, came back. And in that short period of time, Greg, I went from having full color and everything, to being white as a sheet, sweating. And I laid back down, and she looked at me, she said, do I need to go get somebody? And when I told her yes, she knew 
it was something serious. She was thinking like everybody else was, that something was going on with my heart. Yeah, I was going to say, and, did you uh, did you think you were having a heart attack, or were you just? I mean, you seem like you know, you know prior you you know kind of big... weird because it was it felt like what they say a heart attack does it kind of hurts your arm and your side or whatever, but it was on the wrong side, it was on my right side. Just and to... my chest was tightening up, my stomach was just I mean it was it was literally starting to get on fire. Just as and, a Jim, just as a as a as a man, like you know, I mean, you're kind of a you know a strapping guy. Were were you scared to the point where it, it was so unfamiliar that you thought there's something really wrong here? It, it was because you know I've been healthy my whole life. I work outside every day. I'm landscape coming. I'm always walking, lifting, doing something. And I was healthy as a horse. Uh, six months earlier, I did a physical, and everything was normal. I was carrying about 30 extra pounds, but they said everything else, you're as healthy as a horse. And, of course, I was probably about the size of one, too, but uh, they said everything came back normal, which really shocked some of the doctors. You may expected, you know, hot blood sugar or something. was out of whack just being my size, but with me working so much. And I'd never felt, I played 11 years of football back in the day, and, and I mean, it was... I had never felt pain like this before in my life. And I really thought something serious was going on and didn't know if it was my heart or what it could be. I mean, I was just dumbfounded. Uh, but the pain was so intense. Uh, when my wife went out of the trailer and got somebody, luckily there was two EMTs right on the other side of our trailer sitting in the truck. Had the deer. She went over and got them. Of course, they immediately thought it was a heart attack. They come running in there put me up to the EKG machines, all sort of stuff. In the meantime, an ambulance had pulled up. And by that time, some teams like, you know, picking porkers and two men drill and smoke this and all our buddies up there, uh, Tommy Houston from Checker Pig and all, and started coming over to our site. And they're trying to find out what's going on. Jan didn't have any idea. These guys didn't have any idea. Wasn't showing up as a heart attack or any heart failure. And they were dumbfounded. So from the time I got in the trailer to the time I was in the ambulance was about 12 minutes. They weren't taking any chances. They threw me on the session, got me in the ambulance, and off the high point in North Carolina we went. And it was sometime later that night that they figured out what it was. It was acute pancreatitis, which we never heard of before. Didn't even know what the daggum pancreas did. Uh, my father died from pancreatic cancer. But uh, you know, they can do everything in the world to a heart, but they can do zero to your pancreas. They've got nothing for it. It's its own organ. You have to have it, but there, there's nothing they can. You can't transplant it. You can't you know, rebuild it. You can't do anything to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to do what it's going to do. Um, it literally felt like I had a, a softball-sized fireball in my stomach. I was on fire big time. Nothing they gave me, no grudge or anything, would even begin to touch the pain. Um, I was willing to sign off on the Delilah they were giving me. They said it was that lethal basis. And to give me more to stop my heart, I said, where do I sign? Because I'd rather my heart stop than me keep putting up with this pain. I mean, it was that bad. Jim, I think... It really was. I think saying that really, well, I, I guess... You know, first of all, is is pancreatitis when it hits people? 
other sufferers feel the same as you do? Does it have varying levels and you just happen to have like the worst of the worst or, or what? Because uh, honestly, I, I'm not real familiar with it myself. My grandmother died of pancreatic cancer, uh, but not pancreatitis. And I don't know anybody that's ever had it. Right. And it's, it's a totally different animal. You know, number one thing that kept telling my wife was it's not cancer. It's not cancer, not cancer. Because most people that die, you know, have cancer of the pancreas or, or dead within a year. I mean, my father's living proof. My brother-in-law was living proof. Uh, but there are different levels of pancreatitis. And the most common way you get pancreatitis is drinking too much. Drinking too much hard liquor. Uh, they call it a drinker's disease and uh, an alcoholic's disease. And they'll get it, but they'll get it where they have to stay in the hospital for three or four days or a couple weeks. Uh, their worst cases may be, you know, three to four weeks in the hospital. And, uh, you know, and then they're, they're, they're relieved of the pain. And, you know, they're told to watch, quit drinking, all this other stuff and everything. And, of course, you know, most of them don't. Right. But it, it's really a an alcoholic's disease. Well, the first first thing any doctor ever asked my wife, it didn't matter which doctor, is he a heavy drinker? No, I am not. Uh, you can ask anybody at this contest, uh, Thursday night, Friday night, or Saturday night, I might have two, three beers uh, at the most. Never... Nobody's ever seen me drunk. My wife, we've been together 20 years. She's just seen me drunk twice, and now within the last 10 years. So, uh, you know, with it being more of a drinker's disease, that wasn't my case. Their thing was what caused this to erupt so bad so quick. And most prognosis is you have, you can have a cyst on there that ruptured, or you have a gallstone to get lodged in there and makes your enzymes in your pancreas go haywire. Now, what the pancreas does is it breaks your, it's got enzymes in it. It's like a banana-shaped organ. It's got enzymes in it that breaks your food down before it goes into your stomach. Well, when these enzymes so-called get angry uh, or something invades them, they go ape-crazy. And what happened was, was my enzymes in my pancreas was eating my pancreas. And so you get all this stuff just turning your, your once pristine organ into the consistency of jelly and just making muck out of it and creating fluid. Uh, we found out that your pancreas secretes about a liter of fluid a day into your body and your body absorbs it. And we found this out through all the doctors and everything. So your body's made to absorb it. Well, mine was making a lot more fluid than that, and it was a not a very good appealing fluid for your body to where it could absorb it because it's absorbing toxins. And um, so their first protocol for me was to start filling me full of fluids. Well, I went in weighing 255 pounds. Uh, by Saturday night, I weighed 280 pounds. I was ballooned up. I told you more graphic of what all was flowing on me. Uh, my eyes were bolting out of my head. Uh, I literally looked like a Michelin man and gained 20, 25 pounds of just fluid. Um, the worst thing that I could ever think, and I still get a little emotional on this, uh, is that Saturday night, 30 hours after I got this, uh, 
my kidneys shut down and my liver was shutting down. And the doctor told my wife around one o'clock Saturday morning to call my family and I wasn't going to make it. Jim, and, during, uh, during that time, Jim, are, are you coherent? Are you completely aware of, of what's going on or are you, you know, ballooned up and, and, uh, pain meted up to, to where you're a little bit of a haze and you're not really lucid enough to realize the gravity of the situation? Uh, I think the latter part, I was in and out of consciousness uh, for two reasons. One, because of the drugs they were giving me and the amount they were giving me. And two was uh, before they started giving me the drugs, the pain was so excruciating, I would pass out. And, you know, me being outside and doing all this stuff, I mean, I, I have a very high tolerance to pain. And when this hit, I mean, it, it was so bad, it, it literally made me pass out. I mean, it was that bad. Uh, I did not know about the doctors saying that till about two days later. Uh, but I do remember, uh, you know, we're, my family's four and a half hours away from there. And I do remember about six o'clock in the morning seeing my whole family up there. And didn't know why, or I didn't really know where I was at at that point. And, I mean, I knew I was in the hospital. Uh, I thought I'd seen them at that hospital before. They'd come see me before. You know, I was that kind of drugged up where I wasn't really coherent. I knew who they were. I knew they were there. But, you know, I didn't really grasp the reality of why they were there. And, uh, and of course, I didn't really know the gravity of my situation. Uh, just putting my wife through it was just... Uh, you know, in the afterthought was just hell enough. And not to mention, you know, all, the, all of our friends up there in the barbecue community have come by to see us and uh, check on us. And, um, you know, Jan's had her posting trying to keep everybody, you know, abreast of the situation. And uh, the doctors couldn't do anything more for me. They had to wait for the, you know, pain to go away. So I was in ICU for seven days, and I was in a step-down room for seven days. And then seven days later, I called my brother up to come pick me up, bring me back to Augusta. There wasn't anything they could do for me up there at that point. Uh, they'd done all they could do. And I just felt like, you know, even though I wasn't that well to travel, I needed to get back here to Augusta. And it was probably one of the worst rides I've ever had in my life. But I made it back here. And I was in the step-down hospital here for 14 to 15 weeks. And then that period of time, they had uh, drain tubes run into me. I was on intravenous uh, food, uh, laying on my back. I uh, couldn't move. I had all sorts of stuff, you know, between Thompson, uh, you know, things coming out of me and everything. I, I couldn't move unless I had two nurses. And it was really, uh, you know, when you're when you're a proud man and you're used to doing everything yourself and Nobody could tell you no. You proved everybody wrong to being as, as helpless as a kitten. Uh, it's really, it really wears on you mentally and physically. And um, so I was there for 14 weeks and they finally decided to operate on me. And that's when the other turn sort of worse happens when they open me up. Uh, the doctors had told my wife, Jan, that, you know, it's going to be about a two, two and a half hour operation and I'd be a nice you for a day with you know the later tube and everything coming out of me. He said, Don't be alarmed. That's 
You can have all sorts of hoses and all sorts of stuff coming out of him. Uh, they put three more drains in the, during the house, during the surgery, they put a feeding tube in, in me also. And so I had like four tubes coming out of me. Uh, looked like half of an octopus, I guess. But, uh, and all these machines and everything. But when they got in there, uh, he came out five hours later and whole family sitting there and the fluid that normally drains and your body absorbs, my fluid will turn to the consistency of caulking. Oh my. And they had to literally take my, my innards out and scrape my abdomen to get all of that stuff out. Um, it was just congealed in there. They took 80% of my pancreas out and, uh, they had, uh, they took my gallbladder and then they had to reroute my stomach and all that fun stuff in that area, intestines and everything. They had to reroute all that. And, uh, so I was a mess and I was in ICU for five days with the ventilator. And those days, I, I can vaguely remember one or two times waking up. And thinking I was in a different hospital or whatever, because I'm still asking Jan. I said, I remember this one nurse. He said, blah, 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 and drew a diagram. She goes, yeah, that was at MCG. I said, okay, that was here. She goes, yeah, I said, it just seemed like it's in a different world, you know. And uh, the pain came back. I was uh, on the lottery again. And, uh, a normal 14 to 21 day stay, I was in there for 52 days. Wow. So, um you know, and, and the biggest thing with all this is, is the, uh, you know, it really kills you emotionally and mentally because all these things that we take for granted, just rolling out of bed, uh, took me a week to, to do that on my own. Uh, learning how to walk again, uh, it took me three weeks in a walker to learn how to walk in with a walker before I could even start walking on my own again. I mean, it's all these things that we've taken for granted uh, that we do every day uh, that just made life so tough on me and my wife. Uh, it's probably as hard, maybe harder on her end because she saw her big burly man who could do anything, would do anything, and did everything to can't even get up out of bed. You know, that was going to be my yeah. uh, that was going to be my other follow up question there, Jim. I mean, obviously, you know the the person enduring, you know, you uh, having the issue with you, but of course, you know, you have your wife and you, your biggest supporter, your biggest fan. You know, the the love of your life is sitting there, uh, basically helpless, hoping that the doctors know what they're doing, uh, hoping they're going to be able to figure out what's wrong with you and, and get you on some type of a road to recovery. And she's lucid for all of it. There are no drugs to knock her out or, you know, she's not going to pay. She's seeing you like this day in and day out and week after week and month after month. Um, has she come to terms with, you know, how the, the road has progressed for you or like how has she been able to, to, to deal with all this? I mean, that had to have been a tremendous burden. It, it really was. I mean, it wore on both of us. Uh, Cause you know, mine was more pain and trying to rehab and hers was watching me just dwindle away yeah. to nothing. I mean, I, I'd lost 85 pounds. Actually, if you take it from when I was at my heaviest and I was blown up at 280 pounds, I'd lost 110 pounds. Wow. I'm down to 170 pounds and I hadn't been that since I was in sixth or seventh grade. Uh, and it's not 
like when people are on a diet, I think I might have mentioned this earlier, it's not like you lose weight all over, you know. It's the first thing that goes is all your muscle. So basically, I still have a stomach, but my legs and my arms and everything are literally skin and bones. I mean, literally. And uh, and that's how it, it just ate away my, my muscle and everything. So, you know, I'm on a path to recovery on that, eating protein. But on her side of it, it was just so tough that she had to, uh, you know, watch this going on. Like you said, she was not... There was no pain killer or whatever that she could take that would lessen what she had to do. She was actually doing some of the nursing jobs. Uh, you know, if the nurse was busy or whatever and I'd hit something, she'd end up doing it for me or helping the nurse. And she learned a lot. I mean, she could damn near be a nurse right now with all that she learned, what I had to go through, uh, changing my bandages and everything. Uh, you know, when they cut me open, they cut me from one side of my from one side to the other of me, I had like 42 staples in me. And uh, so I had a bandage all the way across my stomach. I had tubes coming out of me. I had, you know, feeding tube, and they had to make sure that I had food up there in my feed thing. Uh, it was just, it was really a mass. It, it would have been easier if I had a heart attack. I'll put it that way. It would have been a hell of a lot easier if I had a heart attack. Uh, rehab wouldn't have been as, as long and the you know, progression wouldn't take so long. I wouldn't have been on my back for six straight months. Uh, I was laying on my back. So, uh, but her having to go through this, it, 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 when I could really comprehend all that, Greg, it, it really started getting to me mentally because I could kind of feel her side. You know what I mean? I was feeling my pain and then I was feeling hers also. And, you know, it's, it's something that I don't wish on my worst enemy. Uh, I do, you know, we thank God every day that I'm still here. Uh, you know, we may not have prayed every day before, but we do now. Uh, it's just, you know, we pray for other people. Uh, you know, it's, it's just been, uh, you know, uh, a thing where we have to thank God for pulling us through and all the prayers that people sent uh, really uh, meant a lot to us. And to see the uh, the barbecue community come together the way it has for us has been phenomenal. And we'll touch space on that in a little bit. But uh, right now, as far as my prognosis, and doctor told my wife in the beginning that it'd take a year for me to get back to normal. Well, tomorrow marks 10 months that I've been going through this, and I'm at about 30% of where I was at this Th- time last year. 30%? 30%. I can walk. I can talk. I can, uh, I'm out with my guys doing some estimates and stuff. You know, what I'm doing now, I couldn't do four weeks ago, so I know I'm getting stronger. Uh, my appetite's starting to come back. Um, I'm trying to eat as much as I can. Whenever I can, uh, you know, they say you, you need to eat like an athlete. And, you know, when your stomach's the size of your fist, you know, starting off a couple months ago, you can't eat that much, you know. And they're like, well, you got to eat this. I don't want to eat that. I mean, my taste buds still on all the way back. I mean, I used to love pizza. I can't eat pizza right now. It just doesn't appeal to me. You know, a lot of foods that 
I really love before I don't eat because it just doesn't appeal to me right now. Uh, eating ice chips for five straight months was the only thing I could put in my mouth was ice chips. And, you know, it's, 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 it's hard for people to understand what you go through until you actually go through something like that. And every doctor that we've talked to has said this is by far the worst case of pancreatitis I've ever seen, and the person is allowed to tell about it. Uh, what usually happens uh, with, when you get pancreatitis is your heart rate goes up, and, you know, other organs start failing, you know, like my kidneys did, and, you know, if I died from that, they'd say it was a kidney failure. You know, they wouldn't put pancreatitis in there, even though that caused it. Most people who die from this die of either a heart attack or a stroke because it makes your heart race. You know, my heart raced up to 140, 150 uh, several times. And uh, my normal rate when I was in the hospital was like 115, which is, you know, 20 more than the, the normal person. But that was the way I was in the hospital, and they accepted that. But for a normal person, they'd be all jittery and shaking and everything else. But to me, I was calm as a cucumber because I was used to it. Um, so that's why pancreatitis does not get um, so-called fame for uh, death is because it causes other things to malfunction. Yeah, the pancreatitis is like the, the root cause of the other things that exactly. actually end up uh, taking you down, no doubt about it. We're talking with Jim Berg from... Killer Bees Barbecue. He is the uh, the pit master for Killer Bees. Uh, Jim, let me ask you. Uh, you know, so we, we've talked a little bit about you know your thirty percent of you know where you think that you should be, and the doctor tell you you know hundred percent after a year. What are your expectations, Jim? And and I guess how you how you internally talk with yourself about your expectations and, and then I guess how they compare to real life expectations as you've seen where you've come from and where you are present day. It, it's, it's, it was very humbling to me because my whole life, uh, you know, when I played football to whatever, I always had to fight and scratch my way up to the top. You know, I was never a really gifted athlete. Everything I had, I had to fight for and I earned and I wanted it to be that way. Uh, nothing was given to me. And so when this came around, you know, my wife would tell you the same thing. Doc said, oh, it, it's going to take him a year. And me and Jen could say the same thing. No, you don't know me. I'll be back in eight, nine months. I'm going to beat that curve. I'll beat every other one, you know. I'm going to beat that curve. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's uh, probably around... I think it was the first week in December. I was, I was doing pretty good, and I had a my pancreas started giving me fits again, and I'm like, "Here we go!" And then I had to go back to the emergency room, and they had to uh, admit me back in the hospital for a week and get my pain meds right, and uh, it was it was going towards where I was feeling that really bad pain again. And I told you, and I said. This could be it. I said, I don't know. I don't have a pancreas left to really do that much hurt. But I said, it's, it's killing me right now. And so that was the point where I said, well, I'm not going to set my expectation. My goal is high on getting back. I just want to be able to get back. So I didn't really push myself really hard. Uh, I tried to do it to where 
I was doing things for one or two days, and then I'd overdo it, and it set me back two days. And well, I couldn't even get out of bed. I couldn't do nothing. And what people don't realize, even to this day, is that I walk around 24-7 with a stomachache. Uh, I've grown, like I said, I have a high tolerance of pain. I've grown to accept that I'm always going to have some type of dull pain down there. And I'm just going to have to deal with it mentally and physically and get through that. But, you know, if it gets much worse, then it's time for me to lay down and take it easy for a few hours. And uh, they got me on some some good pain meds that, that's not addictive, but they last a good long time. And, you know, I can get through a day by just taking one of these little pills in the morning, and it, it gets me through the whole day, uh, you know, I know on some days if I don't take it around lunchtime, my stomach starts to bother me a little bit. So I know they do actually work. Um, and, you know, that's what's getting me through right now. Uh, me being out with my guys walking more and everything, you know, that's most of my job curtails. So I'm building back up strength. Like I said, I'm doing things now that I couldn't dream of doing four weeks ago. And I'm making sure I'm getting my walking in there and things. So I really need to get my legs back up under me, and I think everything else will follow, uh, just going through the normal days that I have. So that's my therapy. Uh, when I had a therapist come by, I was always doing more than what they said I need to be doing. So I just said, well, I'm just going to do it on my own because you might give me enough to do. And uh, they didn't really want what I went through. They didn't really want to push me. They didn't want me to overdo it or anything, but, you know, I felt like I could do more. I know my body. I know what I've been through. I know what I can do, what I used to be able to do, and I said, I want to get back to that as quick as possible. So, you know, getting out, doing my my daily things every day, uh, and having a support team here. I've got a couple great guys that work for me, and uh, they've been really good. They've kept my company going. And, uh, my family has been 150% behind me. Uh, you know, they've been, they've really stepped up and, uh, come by and check on me and help me do things. And we go and do some things together, but they were there by my side in the hospital. Uh, that one brother, every day he had off, he'd be at the hospital bed. Every single day he had off. And that just kind of shocked me. And you don't realize how close you are to some young family until something like this happens, uh, much less an extended family. But um, but it, it changed the way they lived and, uh, you know, brought our family closer together. I hate to say it took something like this to do that. But, you know, you get caught in your everyday lives doing other things. And some things just don't mean as don't become as important as they used to. Until something like this happens and you take a step back and you realize what really is important in life. And uh we we just found out the hard way. And, you know, we're just we like I said, we just thank God every day that I'm still here and uh you know, I'm progressing better. Um, Jan feels a whole lot better now that she sees some good progress. it's taking a lot off her shoulders. I couldn't ask we could have, I think, ever found or picked somebody that would have stuck by my side like she has. And if she wasn't there, I wouldn't be here. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, you know, I owe my life to my wife, and 
celular e gás out there that, that's pitching behind us. And, uh, you know, we appreciate everything everybody's done for us. We don't take any of it for granted. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it makes you take a step back and look at life. It really does. We've had several people saying, you know, what we've gone through has really changed our lives. And, uh, if that's what the good Lord did this to me for, uh, then, you know, I'm, I'm all for it, you know. And, uh, He's got a path, and he's got a wish for us to do something. So hopefully, we're uh, we're gonna do it. Jim, you so, sound uh, you sound resolved and 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 ready to to take it on, no matter what's going to be thrown your way. But you know, in, in quiet times, do you think? I mean, you've said it twice in the interview. In April, you were like, "Hey." let me sign the paper that gives me, you know, pain medicines. That's, that's really going to put my life in jeopardy. And then, you know, back again in September when it was starting to spike up again, you were like, man, this is going to be it. Not many people are able to realistically question their mortality twice in a year, let alone, you know, in, in five months of each other. Did, did you ever think why me, or did you ever get like depressed or anything like that? Um, it was it was so bad when I got back down down here to Augusta uh, after my stint up in North Carolina and having my first uh, you know thought of really dying uh, you know being coherent enough to understand what was going on and uh, just ready to give up and get rid of this pain so to speak um, I had disconnected myself a lot of. A lot of people probably know who follow me on Facebook. Uh, around June, uh, after a few weeks getting back here, I had disconnected myself from the world. And what I mean by that was I closed my blinds. I never wore my blinds open. I never had any lights on. I'd just sit there and watch TV all day. Uh, I got off Facebook. I didn't post anything on Facebook for probably three or four months. Uh, I wouldn't take phone calls. Uh, you know, I wouldn't congratulate, you know, people that's taking my class for winning grands and, and winning categories and Jim to sit and tell me what all was going on. And I disconnected myself from my company. Uh, Jan took it over with the two boys that stayed. I had four guys leave uh, thinking I was going to shut it down. But with my two main guys who had been with me from day one, they stayed on and kept it going. Uh, by the grace of God, there again, uh, you know they they told me they were not going to leave until I, you know, drug them off the property and told them not to come back. Uh, but they were going to be there every day regardless, and uh, you know, promote my company and, and keep it going. Uh, but I disconnected myself from all of it. I didn't want to hear anything about it. Didn't I mean I just mentally, Greg? I was just gone. I mean, literally just just checked out, didn't care. Uh, the only thing I thought about was was living and dying in those those two fashions. Uh, you know, big thing is, well, if they have to do this, then what's my life going to be like? Or if this happens again, what's my life going to be like? Am I going to make it? You know, you have all these unknown questions because the doctors couldn't answer anything going on either. And uh, so it was really tough 
on me that way. And after so many weeks, we finally got in touch with the doctor at the, uh, the big hospital here that had done pancreatic surgeries and everything. And it wasn't until we went to go meet him. And he was very positive. You know, he was uh, almost like he was happy-go-lucky in a way. You know, like I said, what you know? Well, you know, we're going to go in there. We're going to open you up. We're going to dig around a little bit. We're going to probably have to take some of your pancreas out. And, you know, it's all about a cause that we'll take that out. But, you know, we'll do this and do that. It's very invasive surgery. I'm not going to lie to you. And then he said, oh, we can do it, you know, arthroscopically and go in. And he said, uh, take this and this out, but we won't be able to do this. And he said, if that doesn't work, then we'll have to open you up anyway. I'm like, well, I don't want to go through two surgeries because I knew mine was bad enough. And he told me mine was a bad case. Uh, the CAT scans and stuff, they couldn't see anything because uh, all that fluid was so murky. Uh, they couldn't really do anything that way. And uh, so they decided, yeah, I told them, just open me up. Let's get it over with. If I live, I'll tell about it more. If not, then, you know, it was meant to be. I mean, I was to that point. And, uh, of course, everything went with the surgery and all that other stuff I already gone over. But, you know, I, I, I checked out from reality. I'm not going to lie. I checked out from reality. And, and Jan would get on my Facebook and post, hey, this is Jan. Jim's doing this. So, so many people wanted to know how my progress was. And, uh, you know, I just, my phone sat there by my by my bed, but I never picked it up. Is there and, a uh, is there a definitive point, Jim? And look, uh, whether anybody's going to admit it or not, that are are in you know similar straits as you were. Everybody's thinking that at some point you're in that you, the pain and and everything the length and there just doesn't seem to be any type of uh, a hope that anything's going to rectify itself, and then if it does. What's the quality of life going to be like? And for a guy that has always been self-sufficient and strong and competitive uh, to face a reality that you might be, you know, I guess what you would consider to be a shadow of yourself is daunting and uh, it's depressing and it's sad. Uh, so whether anybody's going to admit it like you are tonight or not, I mean, that's just the bottom line. Is Was there a point when you said, you know what, I, I got to get past this. I got to reconnect and, you know, plug back in to my wife and my life and, and my friends, whether it be in person or, or on, you know, social media and things like that? Well, you know, as I sat in a step-down hospital, all I could think of was the worst. You know, like you said, what what's my quality of life going to be like? You know, nobody could answer that. You know, how long is this going to take? I'm, I'm tired. I'm just wore out. I wanted in one way or the other, blah, blah, blah. But when I went to go see Dr. Cruz down here at MCG, um, it's called Augusta University now, uh, he uh, he put a little spark in my uh, mojo, so to speak. He, uh, he was shooting straight from the hip. He said, I'm not promising anything. He said, this is what we're going to do. You know, he didn't realize how bad it was till he went in. He said it was by far his worst case he'd ever seen. Uh, but he says, you know what the biggest thing is about that? I said, what? He says, you're still alive. And he said, 95% of the patients that they'd gone through what you went through and I opened them up like what you did, they would be dead right now. And he said, so 
somebody up there loves you. And uh, so from that point on, it really bumped my spirit up. Like, okay, he says I'm over the rough rough stuff now. Now it's time for me to, to step up to the plate and get better and, you know, fight this thing and do what I've done my whole life and, and fight for my life, fight for my spot here. Um, and then, you know, tell people about it, you know, and we started telling people about it. People were telling me about, you know, cousins that have died from this, uh, you know, one of my good friends, his father died from it. Never knew that. Uh, you know, all sorts of things just started coming out of the woodwork. You know, well, she went in with pancreatitis and she had two strokes and a heart attack and died from that. You know, things like that were coming out. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty lucky person. And, you know, the, even the residents down there at the hospital were calling me the miracle man because they said, it's a miracle you're alive. They said, after looking at your charts and what you've been through and how long you've had this, said, it's, it's a miracle you're still alive. I mean, not to say I hadn't had, you know, 2,000 CAT scans and everything else uh, going through this. I was having one about every other day. Uh, so I knew it was pretty serious, and they were trying to keep a close watch on me. So it was, you know, sometime after I got out of ICU and got my bearings back right, um, that I said, it's, it's, you know, it's time to start fighting a little bit more and uh, to get through this. And, you know, it was it was an easy, easy decision on my part, but, you know, when you look over there and you see your wife's face and, you, you know, you see what you put her through. So it's like, I've got to fight for her too. So, you know, it wasn't just for me. So, you know, it, it was that point from then on that I said, you know, enough, enough, you know. I'm going to try to get the old gym back and um, fight every chance I can get and try to get better. And if I don't, then it's, then it's you know, God's way of, you know, letting me know. But uh, ever since I did that, everything's been progressing pretty nicely. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm doing things now I was doing, doing four weeks ago. And so I know I'm getting better. I'm not gaining any weight. I'm I'm still losing some weight, but I feel a lot stronger than I did. And uh, my mind's a little clearer now. I've got my, you know, my business back. I'm I'm doing it now and uh, getting more jobs and more progressing as far as business is concerned. We've uh, picked up a lot more work, and uh, my guys are happy. I'm happy keeping them busy and. you know, my wife's business been doing pretty good, and she's been happy. So everything's starting to uh, to really start to blossom right now, and uh, we're just going to kind of keep this train rolling and heading in the right direction. And uh, you know, our first competition we're going to do in two weeks, uh, the Sip and Swine up in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Some good friends of ours and supporters of ours are putting it on, and. Uh, it's close to home. It's about two hours from the house, so it's it's not going to be a stretch to go do it. And you know, we've got several friends out there in the barbecue community that's going to help us set up and tear down and all that stuff, so it's not so bad on me and Jan, so I still can't do a whole lot as far as that's concerned. But, 
you know, we're going to get back and we're going to, we've got a lot of people to thank. Uh, a lot of people have gone above and beyond uh, what we had ever dreamed of. And, um, you know, it's the thing we'll, you know, you ask them why, and they always come up with the same thing. The same answer is, well, the first impression. First time I met you, you know, like David Qualls, first time I met you at Sam's Club. You know, you and your wife came by and said, hey, the last two Jack Daniels were at, y'all came by and talked, and y'all were just great. You know, I said, well, that's just the way we are. You know, we like to meet people and talk and visit and, you know, hang out and, uh, and promote barbecue. And that's what we've been doing. And we haven't changed. I mean, we were going into our fifth year last year. So I guess we're going into our fifth year this year now since last year was a bust. But, uh, you know, we've accomplished a lot in a short period of time. And, uh, you know, we just, like I said, we just, want to help people get into this uh, community, which is a great one. And, uh, you know, like I said, promote barbecue. It's, it's a really great thing to be a part of. Well, I can only imagine you're going to have, uh, if not the, uh, one of the most popular camps in a couple of weeks when you get back out there on the, <laughs> the competition circuit, Jim. Uh, I've, I really appreciate uh, all of the time you've spent tonight and all of the uh, the insight that you have given us here and, uh, you know, as, as a host, I certainly appreciate it. And I know everybody listening uh, here live tonight. And then of course, most of the people get it uh, at their convenience on podcasts. And it's uh, probably going to go down as one of the most downloaded shows ever uh, that I have done tonight. So, uh, you know, I thank you for that, but uh, I'm just happy that you, you sound great. You sound strong and uh, I know it's going to continue to trend up and, and I really appreciate the time tonight, Jim. Well, like I said, you know, we, we, we could we could not have done this great without the barbecue community being behind us. Uh, they've been behind us 110%. Uh, prayers. Uh, we've got so many people that have, have donated above and beyond. I mean, David Falls gave up his uh, RGC and Team of the Year for KCBS and had a check donated to us. Uh, Byron Chisholm uh, has been a big supporter. Bubba from Barbecue. Uh, we had four teams up in North Carolina do a uh, fundraiser for us for a whole weekend uh, with Chuck Piercy, Jerry Stevenson Jr. from Redneck Scientific, uh, Pickin' Porkers, Smoking Scullies, uh, Don Rogers, uh, Green Mountain Grills, who's one of your sponsors, actually donated a couple grills for raffles up there for us. And they put together, Bubba sent pork up there, bottled pork for the, for the uh, event. Uh, Randall Bowman, you know, with the smokers and, and the chocolate he gets, Scott Smith from Cuban Stone and Brewing, donated classes and uh, bought me an entry into a uh, contest, which we've gotten several free entries this year. Uh, you know, from Morgan I saying your money's not good this year. We just glad you're back and we want you here. And don't worry about paying. We've got it covered. Uh, you know, I got people like uh, Rub Bagby, uh, Matt Barber, uh, Tuffy, giving, uh, I mean, uh, Travis Clark, Heath Riles, giving free classes uh, and take, well, what they're doing is they're raffling off a class and, and sending us the money. Uh, Victory Lane Barbecue, uh, Butch Barbecue, Rod Gray, Chris Lilly, uh, Granny's Sauce uh, have donated products to this uh, cause. Uh, 
I know I'm running off Mark and Rich from the BarbecueSuperstore.com. It donated not only their own money, but they've gotten these Team Berg shirts out. They still got them. It says hashtag Team Berg, and uh, you can buy the T-shirts there. People supporting us that way. Uh, Jason Whitcomb from Team Unknown built us a, a chimney. He just felt like that he wanted to donate something, and, and he donated us a you know, a chimney and, and got Bubba to bring it up to Brasstown Valley this year. Uh, Karen Mercy and Jason Perrigan from the Jack. You know, we got a, uh, an honorary invited to the Jack this past year. Uh, Myron Nixon has donated stuff. Uh, Eddie Smith from GD Piggy. Uh, he's come up and saw me in the hospital a couple of times. I'd never even done his contest, but he knew who I was and I've met him a couple of times. He just felt like, since he's from North Carolina, and he just felt like he needed to be there by my side. I mean, Tommy Houston from Checkered Pig. Uh, you know, all these people have just done unbelievable things for us, and we cannot thank them enough for going above and beyond everything. Uh, you know, it's taken by the heart. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really heartfelt, and it's really restored faith in humanity. Um, you know, even Carolyn Wells from, from KCBS, you know, we've had several talks on the phone and everything, and I don't think she realized what kind of family she was developing back 30 years ago when she started KCBS, but it is one hell of a family and it's a tight family. It's a very giving family. And I could not think of any other organization that I would rather be a part of than, than this uh, KSPS, FDA, whatever, this barbecue community is just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, we just really, really want to thank everybody from the bottom of our hearts for everything you've done for us, all the prayers, just everything has been just so overwhelming. And we really appreciate everything everybody's done for us. Uh, we're not done yet, but we are digging out of that hole. And we just want to thank, uh, you know, Butch Barbecue, uh, like I said, David Bosco has been really good. There's, there's just so many. And if we miss somebody, I'm sorry. But I, I try to get a list down of everybody I knew. And uh, well, we just want to thank everybody. And I want to thank you for having me on the show tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just can't thank people enough, Greg. It, it, it's really been overwhelming. Jim, I think if you miss anybody, uh, it doesn't even matter. They can listen to the uh, the, the authenticity in your voice. And uh, and look, this is this is what it's all about. And it's my pleasure to have you on, Jim. Uh, good luck in a couple of weeks when you hit that barbecue scene. And if you win, we're getting you back on to recap. All right, man? I'd love it. I would really love it. And all I right. appreciate it, Greg. And you have a good evening. And uh, tell Darren I said, hey, he's a, he's a good friend of ours. I sure will. And, uh, and I'll uh, be listening to him. All right. Well, you will. Appreciate uh, it, Greg. We'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you. Good night. How about Jim Berg right there? Wow. Coming strong and really laying uh, laying it all out there on the line. Uh, that was some real. Uh, I think if you if you're listening, that's some real. Okay. Well, I mean, literally, it's life and death stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people. Are, have had to contend with that, uh, maybe with, uh, you know, a family member extended or, you know, a grandmother or grandfather, something like that. But 
you know, with your, within yourself, have you had to had those uh, conversations with yourself? Have you had to have your significant other look at you in a state that you never thought you would be in and how are you going to get out of it? What's the recovery going to be like? And then it goes on for months and months. Can't thank Jim Berg enough for coming on the show and uh, talking about it the way he did. Uh, continued success in his recovery and uh, continued success on the competition circuit uh, when he gets back to it in a couple weeks from now. All right, let me see here. How can I do this? My clock is way off, but I mean, who cares? I'll catch up to everybody else here in a minute. Uh, Jim mentioned it. Just a second ago, Butcher Barbecue. That's right. Go to butcherbbq.com. Check out the new website. Check out the new $8 shipping, regardless of size. The injections, the rubs. It's all available for sale right now. Butcherbbq.com. If you're looking for the go-to rub or sauce, you've hit the mother load here. There's four new rubs out there on the market. Of course, everybody knew in the beginning it was honey rub. Uh, the steak and brisket rub was great. Now you got even four more rubs to choose from. Hurry over and get them all. And then while you're at it, get the grilling oils. They're my favorite. I use grilling oil today. Uh, sa- sautéing. Is that how you say it? Sauté? Sautéing up some chicken tenders. Uh, real chicken cuts, not the breaded stuff. Uh, a little bit of olive oil, and then a couple rings around with the Butcher's Barbecue butter flavor grilling oil. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. Then I uh, dropped some cherry rub on it. Whew. Come on, son. Come on, son. Get over there right now, and please, please. I mean, here's the thing. If you're like, hey, what should I get? The shill, the, the shill you want me to be is everything. But the truth is everything. You should get everything. Get the injections if you inject. If you've always thought about injecting and you're just a backyard guy, it works for you too. I had the same apprehensions four years ago. I got over it. Now my barbecue is better than everybody else's in the neighborhood. The rubs are great. The sauce is great. Come on. Do yourself a favor. Head on over to ButcherBBQ.com. That's ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. Also, I'm trying to catch up. The CHOPS Power Injector System. You got three different models to choose from. It's uh, The first two are under pressure, like in a spray bottle type situation, but it's food safe. It's a half gallon and the full gallon option. And then if you do big catering jobs or like restaurants, the CHOPS full power injector system. Instead of a a holding tank, you got three and a half foot pickup tube. You can put it in up to 55 gallon drums for crying out loud. Plus they got all the accessories that you need to make your CHOPS power injector bulletproof. For instance, metal needle adapters. They're all made in KansasCityMissouri.com. It's the 2015 barbecue tool of the year is a CHOPS power injector system. Use the CHOPS power injector system with Butcher Barbecue's injection it's a match made in heaven for crying out loud. Barbecue Kansas City, B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E, BarbecueKansasCity.com. That's BarbecueKansasCity.com. We're back with Darren Worth right after this. Stick around.
Hey, this is Helen Paradise from SoCal, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How you doing? <laughs> We have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet before we nursed. Oh, listen, Laverne, it's a shit feast. I'm shaking like a dog. Shit peach seeds. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, welcome back. This is the Barbecue Central Show's second hour. I'm just trying to figure out how I am uh, readjusting here, so bear with me just for one second. Uh, Joining me now, just for a little uh, statistical analysis, in 2015, first in brisket. That's why we're talking to him. Eighth in chicken, tenth in ribs, 29th in pork. Must be a mistake. Good enough for third overall. KCBS Team of the Year. We head to the hotline and welcome back, good friend of the show, the pitmaster of Iowa's Smoky D's, Darren Worth, joining me here on the show. Darren, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Greg. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you, uh, you know, staying up late for a brother. <laughs> it is past my bedtime. Is it? What time you roll uh, roll into the rack? Well, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock at the latest. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're. You, I mean, you're. You're probably. Are you like up early guy because of the restaurant stuff, or or not so much? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm up. I'm up by five o'clock. Oh yeah. See, that's like to me, uh, five o'clock in the morning. Uh, as much as I. Like the very first second the alarm goes off, I'm like, God, this sucks. But five minutes later, I always think between like five and eight are really the most productive hours of the day. Exactly. All right. So uh, you're a pretty good brisket cook. We're going to talk about that. And I'm trying to figure out where I want to ask these other questions. Well, let's just get through the brisket stuff real quick. But there's a lot of other really cool barbecue competition stuff that you uh, continue to do very well. 2015 brisket team of the year. Uh, how does that grab you? Um, you know, it's it's good. I don't. I, I really don't get too too excited about team of the year races. You know, we had a great run in brisket um, towards the middle of the year. I think we had five or six first place brisket finishes in a row which kind of catapulted us up there. And then we just kind of stayed there pretty much all year long. So, you know, I don't, I don't get too tied up in team of the year races. We're all, we're more about going out and having fun. You know that. We, we've done this kind of a round table show with you before Darren, uh, not just you singularly, but you know, we'll follow a, a similar fashion here and it should kind of breeze by back in the beginning. When, when did you start competing again, Darren? 2003. All right, 2003. So just uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, 
were you always using the the higher end briskets or you know were you uh were you prime guy at some point or like how did you start with that no i think i think when i first started i mean i think everybody back then you know was was pretty much using choice briskets you know there there came a time i'm going to guess in the Oh, I don't know, maybe 2008, 2009 area, and I'm not very good with dates, but, you know, everybody kind of moved to the CAB thing. Um, and then, you know, the Wagyu has really only been, you know, it's only been kind of a three or four year old thing, if I remember right. I mean, we haven't been doing them for a, a ton of years. Do you feel that it is something that you need to move? Let me re-ask this question. Do you think that in the judge's tent there is becoming an expectation of tasting a, a Wagyu brisket or not? Well, you know, I don't know because I, I really don't taste my food. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and we've got to the point that, you know, Sherry and I, neither one of us even taste the brisket at all. You know, to me, it's it's a tenderness game. You know, but I think the one thing the Wagyu does over – all the rest of the stuff is it almost guarantees you um, the juiciness of the brisket, that, that marbling's there, you know, compared to, and, and you may have a prime brisket that's got super marbling. Personally, I'm not sure if I could tell the difference between a prime brisket that was well marbled and a Wagyu brisket, you know, on the judgment. I'm not sure I could tell you that difference. But, but you're not, not going to take one to a competition at this point. Well, that's right. I mean, you, you you know, it's when you find something that works, you just repetitively do it over and over again, no matter how boring it becomes. You so, keep doing the same thing. Darren Worth joining me here on the show. Uh, so as, as we get into the prep of brisket for you guys, uh, has it always been whole packers? Have you ever messed around with flats before? Um. Really? I mean, I've been cooking flats for years. I mean, it's it's whole packers, of course, but I... You know, I've always trimmed them out. Right you know, from the, so, I mean, right from Jump Street? I, I probably, oh, no, not right from the beginning. I'm guessing, I don't know, time frame, but, you know, I probably started, you know, trimming out flats. I don't know. I've probably been doing it for five years now. Are you just a one brisket during the competition cook, or will you do, you know, two or three? Oh, no, just just one. You know, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that, you know, people say one's always better than the other, but if you only cook one, how could that be? So does it, does it really, well, I mean, I guess from a financial standpoint, I mean, briskets are now, I mean, I don't even know what they are, 180, 130 bucks, 150 bucks or something like that. Well, probably, probably 160, 70, 80. All right. So, you know, let's just shy of 200. I mean, you're probably not going to be, you know, spending 550, 600 bucks on briskets, just to say you got three there to, to pick your best slices from, that would be a fiscally irresponsible, potentially. Do, do you know people that do that? Well, yeah. I mean, I actually do that a little bit myself. You know, I always have two briskets thawed when I get ready to go for a competition, you know, and so I'll trim out a brisket, you know, in the restaurant before I leave. I, I always I always try and trim my brisket out. And if there's something I don't like about that brisket, um, you know, I won't think twice about cutting that thing up and putting it through the grinder and making the best hamburger in the world um, and going to the next brisket. You know, I mean, sometimes I'll get to the third brisket, but I think that's, you know, that's my mentality that I don't care if it costs $600. 
I'm going in to win brisket, you know, so I'm going to put, I'm going to have the best piece of meat on my cooker that I can possibly get no matter what the cost is. Does cooking one also force you to really dial in and, and, and make sure that you are, I don't know if babying is the right term, but you are paying attention to it and not thinking that you have other stuff to potentially back you up? Um, no, not really. Not really. I mean, I, and I don't even baby a brisket. You know, it's kind of like this weekend I was cooking out in, in Arizona and, you know, I just kind of had this, this feeling and I said, well, maybe I'll put a probe in it. You know, I told Sherry, I said, uh, normally I like to get everything wrapped and, you know, and then at some point I decided that I'm going to get out of probe and so I can monitor it, um, instead of opening the cooker door. So, you know, I, I popped a probe in the brisket and it was done. I mean, it was exactly perfect. That actually I was cooking two briskets because we were cooking two different contests, which is going to require me to have two briskets and both of them were done exactly at that time. And I'm not sure if it was just blind luck or what I mean, normally I I wasn't even ready to put a probe in it. And I said, oh, I'm just going to put a probe in it. And it had this sixth sense to me that said, hey, you better check that thing. In regards to the trimming process, uh, are you a, a big believer in a lot of removal of stuff? Or because of the quality of brisket that you're using, is there really not a need to do a lot of knife work? Well, I, I hack up quite a bit. You know, I I, I really trim that brisket down. I don't trim a lot of fat on the bottom of the brisket. Um, but I give it a shape, you know, that, and I try and, you know, get everything that flat and I try and trim it down. Cause I try and cook that brisket really fast, you know? So the smaller the brisket I've got, the faster it's going to cook. In regards to injections, uh, do you use, something that's widely available on the market. Well, I mean, look uh, back probably in 2003 when you got into it, were you even injecting briskets at that point? Um, yeah, I think at that point, you know, I mean, it was, it was pretty simplistic, but I think even back then people were, were injecting briskets, you know, and I, and I ran, I ran a brisket injection for, Oh, you know, probably four years, the last four years, and then finally, halfway through the year last year, I kind of switched over to a different one to make it more simplistic. And I really didn't notice any change. Do you mind sharing who you use or who you're partial to? Well, I mean, I switched over as soon as, you know, of course, everybody knows that, you know, Big Papa Smokers uh, is really our one and only sponsor. Um, but And so he came out with this, brisket injection called cattle prod that isn't even on the market yet. I mean, I think it'd be on the market on March 1st um, from what I heard, but I mean, it's just amazing because it gave me everything that my injection used to have, except for it gave a little more, but what it did was it made it really easy. It made it that you could just mix together a certain portion of that with a bottle of water and you're ready to go. Darren Worth joining me here on the show, Iowa's Smoky D's Pitmaster. And uh, the website, by the way, uh, because he has very successful restaurants, is Iowa, uh, I'm sorry, SmokyD'sBBQ.com if you want to check it out. How many restaurants you got now, Darren? Still got three. Still, Still got three. three. We're just kind of maintaining along. You know, we we travel a lot on the circuit and stuff, and 
we've just decided, you know, that we really don't have to be the biggest barbecue uh, restaurant in the country. You know, we just want to be consistent day in and day out. How far in advance do you rub your briskets? And I guess uh, process-wise, are you a rubber and then an injector or the other way around? I I inject every afternoon at 2 o'clock. Ask me why 2 o'clock, don't have a clue. But at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I inject. um, And then I get up in the morning, I light my fire at 5 o'clock. As soon as I light the fire, then I rub the brisket. That's it? That's it. Have, Very. I'm the most. I'm the most simplistic cook in the world, Greg. If <laughs> if anybody watches me sit around, I spend more time sitting in the lawn chair in the morning than I do anything. Were, were you ever a guy that was bogged down with? It's got to have rub on it for overnight and dry brining and blah blah blah. Or is that all just kind of foreign to you? Oh uh, no, I think I probably did that when we first started. You know. I mean, back when we first started, you know, if I think if Rod Gray told me anything, then I did it. <laughs> you know, he was a, he was a pretty good mentor of mine as we come to the rack. So, I mean, I think at some point, if he would have told me to jump off a cliff, I probably would have. Uh, rub wise, obviously, it's West Coast offense, as you had mentioned. Uh, you're you're a big poppet guy. What do you like about the What do you like about those rubs? You know. <laughs> I mean, look, there's 50 billion rubs, Darren. I mean, who are we kidding? I mean, they just score, you know, and and, and I don't, you know, I don't know because I've interchanged (laughs) them even, you know, I mean, it used to be the money and pepper cow were really popular on the brisket. And then, you know, there's been a lot of switch to, um, you know, the double secret and the pepper cow back and forth kind of interchangeably. And now, you know, his new cash cow product brings it into the mix and it's just, it's just crazy, but I don't know. You know, and like I said, I don't taste the brisket, but evidently it must taste pretty good. So, what what are you what are, what's your West Coast offense on uh, on briskets? Is it just one rub, or do you use a, a combo of you know two or three different ones? You know, people are paying Travis Clark thousands of dollars for this. <laughs> <laughs> Me? No, right, right. Right, right now we're actually running. We run peppered cow, uh, double secret, and the cash cow. Nice. Uh, as far as prep, uh, I'm going to guess no. But I mean, is there anything else that you're doing to the meat before you toss it on the on the heat? Pretty just, pretty simplistic. You know, right. I can trim a brisket in about five minutes. You know, in the restaurant, I crowd back it back up, take to the contest two o'clock, inject away throw it back in the refrigerator, take it out of the refrigerator after I light the fire, put some rub on it, throw it in the cooker. So if we move uh, easily to the cooking section, um, what time do you get that thing on in the morning for competitions? It's normally on at 6. Do you do you allot a certain time, or is it all look, feel, and sixth sense for you on when you're going to pull it? Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely feel. I really don't pay much attention to the time, but, you know, I've designed, you know, I I kind of took this whole hot and fast to a, to a new level kind of by accident. You know, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in Sholo, Arizona and I was trying to get my pit up to temp and it was about 6,000 feet elevation out there. 
and I couldn't get my pit to tap, and I was throwing logs, and I mean, I was burning paint off this pit, and, and I just couldn't get it up to tap. And finally, after about 45 minutes, I said, you know, I just got to throw this brisket on. You know, so I threw the brisket on, and it just sizzled. And I'm going, huh, I wonder if I have a bad thermometer. So I, I put a probe in where the thermometer was, and I was burning at 450 degrees. Whoa. And I just and I just had a bad probe. And so I just kind of let that run. And, you know, we it tempered down, you know, the, the pit, but... I let it put that hard sear on it. And, you know, to this day, it, it was the best brisket I'd ever cooked in my life. You know, I just liked it. And so I just kind of went to that timeline, you know. And so I, by doing that timeline, you know, it allowed me, instead of like the old jambo cooks that, you know, get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and light the fire and put their stuff on and go back to bed for a half hour and get back up, it allowed me to sleep all night long, get a really good night's rest, and then I could, um, you know, when it come turn in time, I wasn't tired. I was really focused, you know, so it's, it's changed the way that I've cooked. It's changed the way I've trimmed pork butts out, you know, just because I, I get everything smaller and everything's on the pit at the same time, but it allows me to start the pit at five o'clock in the morning and allows almost everything on that pit to come off there between 1130 and 12, you know, so I, I got all morning to do whatever I want. And then there's this real crunch time before chicken time that everything's happening. In regards to wood, uh, I guess, uh, do you run a jambo at a, at a mix of charcoal and wood, or is it only sticks that you're throwing in there? Um, I, I start with a charcoal base um, just to start. Um, but then it's, it's all wood. It's hundred percent wood from there. Are you a pecan guy? Like, uh, most I are, am. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Vaughn wood pecan guy dragged to 10% moisture. <laughs> well, pretty exact. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you've ever spent time around a moisture meter at all Never. or what's happening. Okay. Well, you, you really should, because if, if you're running Jambo, you'll find out that if that moisture level gets up above 15%, you get a smoldering log. If you get it down to 12%, it's, it's livable. But if you get that 10% or under, um, it just, it's really just throwing a log. You're not worrying about it. You know, you're not trying to adjust the fire to get that log to burn right. You just throw it on the fire and it burns. So are you, so do you have a specific source that you know you're getting your, your 10% at, or do you, meter every freaking log before it goes in. And if it's a little wet, you put it up in a rack and season it a little bit longer. And like, you, well, do you yeah, have the rotating no, I mean, rack well, of wood? Well, I get it from Vaughn, you know, Vaughn and they custom cut and they kiln dry everything, you know? So uh, is everything right at 10%? No, not necessarily. I mean, that's the beauty of when I cook in Arizona, it's so dry hmm. that everything goes down to seven, 8% moisture and just stays there. When you're, when you're in Iowa, and you're in the spring, you know, that, that moisture content wants to come up. So in Iowa, a lot of times I'm always throwing a, a log, um, on the side of the fire, trying to get it going. But really what happens is when I'm, when I'm selecting what wood that I'm taking to the contest, that's useful when I have the moisture meter in my hand. Uh, obviously you're, you're cooking hot and fast, as you had mentioned, uh, do you spray or baste or mop at all during the cook on that brisket? 
I do. I do. I I have a spray bottle just full of water and, and I hit that thing probably every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes? Yep. What about if you're looking, you're not cooking? <laughs> it's a jam. It's a, it's a, it's a jambo. It's always cooked. A jambo, a, a jambo has a recovery time of about two minutes once that door is open. Foiling the brisket at some point? Yep, foiling the brisket after two hours. So it's is it time or color? Um, well, really it's both, but I mean it ends <laughs> up being, you know, if you're consistent on your wood and consistent on your meat and consistent on the placement in the cooker, it all looks the same every time. Uh, so uh, it, back when I started doing the show, I think everybody was foiling the briskets and it was tight, but there wasn't a lot of stuff going in there. It was just a, a foil, I guess. Uh, have you yeah. seen a, uh, a rise in uh, items going in to the foil, like making it a little hot tub type thing? Are you doing any of that? Well, I mean, I just, I just put some simple... You know, like, you know, once again, Sterling's got this cash cow product out there that he's, he's taking cash cow and mixing it, you know, straight in with water and being able to, to make an IU, um, that's going in there. So, like I said, you know, I, I'm not sure if that makes a difference or not. I'm sure it does, um, with the end product. And I think a lot of people are doing different things there. I mean, I hear all kinds of funky things where people are, covering a brisket in honey and just doing all kinds of stuff in there. But I'm just pretty simplistic. Just try and get kind of a beef, beefy flavor in there. Do do you, have you uh, separated the, the point in the flatter cooking separately now or? Oh do, yeah. Do you, yeah. Okay. No, they've, they've always, they, they get separated. They get separated at the restaurant. You know, when I'm separating right. them, they're, they're getting trimmed out separately. And always burn ends. To, to make or always attempt to make burn ends, no matter what? Well, yeah. I mean, and, and 95% of the time that works out. You know, I mean, sometimes you may get a brisket that has too much marbling, and usually I'm able to identify that at the restaurant and, and go a different route um, when I go to trim it, because sometimes they come in way too marbled. Sometimes they're not marbled enough. Uh, most of the time with the Wagyu, it's the burn ends too marbled. And if it's way too marbled, then it's going to be, you know, hard to get that. It's just going to be a, kind of a mouthful of fat, which we don't want. But, you know, 95% of the time they go in the box. Darren, can I uh, break one second and talk about Big Papa Smoker? And then uh, we'll come back and sure. finish up the, the brisket whatnot. Sure. All right. Stand by here. I got to make sure I got all my damn clock stuff. Did you hear Jim Berg earlier? I did not. Oh, you got to go back and look. He, he ran me for an hour and 10 minutes. The guy was gold. He's awesome. <laughs> so good. Jim Berg, Jim Berg is gold. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, all right, hold on one second, Darren. We'll get you back up here in uh, just a couple minutes. Let me talk to you guys quickly about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for anyone interested in barbecue. Number one dealer, Mac Pellet Grills in the world. Big Papa Smokers features a wide selection of American-made grills, smokers, such as the Old Hickory Ace BP, the gateway drum smoker, even a drum kit that gives you everything you need to make a world-class smoker out of a 55-gallon drum. Big Papa's has also made a name for itself in recent years by crafting an award-winning line of championship rubs. From flavors like Sweet Money to Happy Ending, their rubs have had a hand in winning almost every major barbecue competition, including the American Royal, 
the Jack Daniels, Kingsford Challenges, Houston Livestock and Rodeos, Kings of the Smokers, and the list goes on. Don't think that they can be pigeonholed just into competitive barbecue either. BPS rubs have become so well-known that they've been picked up by a nationwide restaurant chain. BJ's Restaurant and Brew House, with four of the nine rubs on their permanent menu, and amid glowing reviews, BPS rubs are proven to be a great addition to anyone's pantry. They've also banded together with fellow California-based rub company Simply Marvelous Barbecue to form what has now become known as the West Coast Offense. Defying conventional wisdom, these two California-based rub makers have cornered the market on competitive barbecue and begun to redefine the flavor profile that competitive cooks from across the country have begun to aim for. Don't forget about the online meat locker. Snake River Farms ship right to your door. The Kobe beef, the caribou to pork, double R ranch meats. It's got something for every type of barbecue aficionado. Big Papa's also created a unique brand ambassador program, the BPS Elite Team, featuring 15 of the best competition teams in the country, working together to promote camaraderie, competition barbecue, and to benefit children's charities across the U.S. Keep in mind that Big Papa's has been able to do all of this within only five years of being in the biz, turning competition barbecue on its head, providing customers with the very best barbecue products, becoming a staple of a nationwide restaurant chain, benefiting children's charities across the U.S. Just the beginning for Big Papa Smokers and the website BigPapaSmokers.com. That's BigPapaSmokers.com. More with Darren Worth of Iowa's Smokey D's right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show is brought to you by me. Hey, don't forget, the first episode of the Barbecue Roundup will hit the feed at noon Eastern this Thursday. It's locked and loaded. And for the first effort, it... Could have been worse on my end, I guess. Shout out to Sylvie Curry for being my first spotlight guest, and thanks to my favorite Sterling, Sterling Ball, for giving me some audio bites on the guinea pig recap. So subscribe to the show through iTunes or whatever pod catcher you use, and you'll automatically be subscribed to get the potentially new every Thursday at noon release pre-recorded barbecue roundup, you know, whatever. All right, uh, we are back with Darren Worth from Iowa's Smoky D's. Uh, Darren, we're uh, just going to finish up the brisket stuff here. In regards to when it's finished, uh, do you shoot for a, a minimum hold time, or is it all just kind of how the, the clock is working with you? Um, it's, it's really just how the clock is working. Like I said, you know, most of the time, everything's coming off between 1130 and and 12, you know, so, you know, I found the longer that brisket holds, I think the better it is. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not willing to sacrifice sleep time over holding a brisket any longer. When did you stop tasting your barbecue? A long time ago. Like five years ago? A long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago, except for chicken. Chicken, I love I love the chicken. You know, I, I'll eat every piece of chicken. Other than that, I really, you know, I, I force Sherry to taste the ribs. We haven't tasted a piece of pork, or um, Sherry will sometimes eat a piece of burnt end before it gets any sauce or anything on it, um, just for more of a mouth texture. But other than that, I mean, 
I can pretty much feel a piece of meat in my hands and see, you know, see if it's right. That, uh, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it just kind of blows my mind. It, and obviously it's because I have never competed and I would get the balls kicked off of me if I were ever to, to hit the competition scene and you've been doing it for, you know, years and years and you have the program and, and the experience and, and all that stuff. But uh, I guess it just seems a, a little crazy to some people that you wouldn't, you know, put a, put a mouth on. Uh, you say you like the chicken or you would eat every piece of chicken. It's just because you like chicken. It doesn't really matter, you know, that it's, yeah, you know, no, at a competition. I just, I, I just, I just do, you know, and <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I truly believe the word, the words flavor profile are the most overused words in competition <laughs> barbecue, you know? And I think if you have people new to the sport and you ask them, they're probably going to say it's 90% flavor profile and 10% tenderness. And I'm here to tell you it's 90% tenderness, 10% flavor profile. You know, it's a tenderness game out there. You know, and what happens is, you know, when people bring other barbecue up to me and say, hey, um, you know, yeah, I'll say, yeah, I'll eat your chicken. I don't want to, I'll feel your brisket or your pork, whatever, but I'm not going to taste it. Um, you know, everybody's always focused on the taste. And and I'm here to tell you, <laughs> it all tastes the same. So how, is there a possibility that is ever going to change? I mean, I don't remember back when I started doing this show that, there was as, uh, I don't know if vanilla of a flavor profile or a, as similar of a flavor profile as there has been over the last couple of years. Do you see a point in time where, you know, it kind of goes back to the kitchen and people are going to start bringing a little bit more personality or individuality to flavor, or is it become too expensive and too specialized now to, to try and go outside of the box and, and get spanked? Well, I'm not sure it's too expensive, but I think that's exactly what's happening. I mean, you know, I, I think competition barbecue as it is today is just good, mediocre barbecue, you know, and you just have to appease to a wide range of judges. You know, you can't, you can't be in there and say, okay, I'm going to throw a little extra heat to this because if you go in and you get grandmas on the table, they're going to kill you. You know, the same as, you know, if you throw the heat to the bunch of beer drinking buddies that get set at the table together, you're going to do really well. But the fact of the matter is you just need to be what I'll call politically correct all the time. You know, and if you're trying to set yourself something different, um, you know, chances are you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And, and we've just decided a long time ago that we're not going to play that game. You know, I'm not going to play the first or last game. I don't like that game. I'd rather have four seventh place finishes every week than a shot at winning first once every five weeks, but getting also dead last. And so it's just kind of middle of the road. Is that satisfying to you to, to, to say realistically that you make the least offensive, mediocre barbecue for brisket in 2015? It, 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 <laughs> it is. And I, and I, and I tell you why, because competition barbecue for us shifted, you know, probably we've always had a lot of fun competition barbecue, but you know, when, when we went out a couple of years ago and we won the Royal and then we won the Jack and the Kingsford Invitational and the King of the Smoker and we had that phenomenal run, yeah. you know, you sit there and you look at the mirror and go, okay, what, what else is there to accomplish besides losing a hundred pounds? But anyway, so you, you look at the mirror and say, well, 
what else is there to accomplish? And, and you say, you know what, this is about friends and this is about fun, you know, and, and you know what I've, I'm a strong believer that the less, the less time I spend trying to figure out how to win, the more that I win just by keeping things very simplistic, but we're having the time of our lives. You know, we're just, it's all about that. We don't care. We don't care whether we win or not. As long as somebody that we know wins and one of our friends wins, we're all happy, you know, and that's what, that's what our journey's about, you know, and in the meantime, you, you win every once in a while. So, so why not get a, you know, a 15 foot stagecoach RV and just follow the circuit along and, and just like hang out and just, you know, fuck the cooking all together. Well, I mean, you almost could to that point, except for, you know, I mean, people like I've gotten 50 phone calls this week about being in Houston. Am I going to be in Houston? Lord? You know, no, if I can't compete, because there still is that competitive nature, you know, that it's the thrill of the call and it's the thrill of, you know, getting that brisket to turn out just right and things like that, that, you know, there's still that competitive. If, if that ever goes away, chances are we'll just go away and, you know, I'll become a bass pro fisherman or something. Who knows? But it, it, it's just that, that thrill is still there. But to us, if you look at our schedule of where we go, a lot of times it doesn't make financial sense. But I guarantee there's either a really great restaurant or really great friends that are there to have fun with through a contest. You love Five Guys Burgers, right? Yeah, you know, we got on that kick, you know, a few years ago. It was kind of a good luck charm. I'm kind of burnt out actually now a little oh. bit. You know, I, I'm more of the I'm more of the uh, mom and pop type shop. Anything that we can find on the on the local food scene. Nothing too fancy. Darren, you started the year in crap uh, uh, Sanford, Florida. Sanford, Florida. You did Sonny's Invitational. You won it. <clears throat> Florida Barbecue Association event. So you know, different to a degree than uh, the KCBS stuff. Uh, you had a great year last year. Um, you had made it very apparent when I had interviewed you at some point early in the year that, you know, if there was going to be no uh, extreme effort to, to go after team of the year, if it fell into your lap, whatever, but, you know, you had definitive cutoff points. So you start back yep. out again this year and uh, and you win an FBA event. How do you like different sanctioning bodies? Uh, and I mean, I'm sure you love winning in them, but like, how do you find each intricacy in the different sanctioning bodies? Well, I, I love it. It's, it's a challenge. It was Florida was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun because we were down there, you know, I was down there a day early and, you know, talking to a lot of Florida teams and they were all telling me how I needed to cook Florida barbecue and how it needed to be sweet and how I needed to do this in the box. And, I kind of joked around with them. We were having a few beers on Thursday night, and I kind of joked around. I said, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm just going to cook good old Smoky D's barbecue, and let's just see what happens. <laughs> and we just happened to get lucky and win, you know, and it was just a blast. But it was the challenge of something different. You know, um, for some, you know, the garnish, when you go no garnish, it becomes a little bit of a challenge, not only to make stuff look good, but as you're placing stuff in the box to get it to hold in place, 
so that it looks good by the time it gets to the judge's tent. And and we've had a lot of practice with that. Cooking in the King of the Smoke would be in a no carnage contest. So it, we were no stranger to it. It was just like, what are we running into? And we could have just as well went in there and got 25th place and, and still had a great time. Do you not worry it when you have guys that I guess are experienced FBA cooks saying, well, you got to sweeten it up or you got to do this, you got to do that. Do, do you give even a second thought about it or do you truly no. feel that wherever you're going, uh, Smokey D's barbecue can, can take the day no matter what? Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been cooking barbecue. We probably travel the country more than any, anybody, you know, and, and I'd really like to get up into that Northeast quadrant. I say that every year. We just can't seem to get that schedule, but you know, whether we're cooking on the West coast, whether we're cooking in Texas, whether we're in Oklahoma or Kansas or in Florida, it doesn't matter. We just kind of cook the same old thing. You know, I mean, when people think there's regional differences in this sport, you know, I kind of think they're crazy. You know, it's just because judges travel just as much as, as competitors do. And, you know, I always say, you know, good barbecue is good barbecue no matter where you go. This past weekend, you do the dual event. It's a KCBS event. It's an IBCA event. You win the IBCA portion, your reserve in, in the KCBS. What's it like cooking two contests like at the same time? That was, that was a challenge. We, we, it was <laughs> fun, but I mean, we had to do seven tournaments in, in three hours, you know, and space constraints really became an issue. You know, we kept trying to, you know, we're cooking. You know, just from a volume standpoint, I had two briskets, um, one for each contest. So I had two briskets, I had four racks of rib, and four pork butts, and I also had four half chickens that I was trying to double in one cooker and a little 30 gallon hand. So it was quite a challenge, and it got really, really busy halfway uh, through because we had to turn in, you know, CBS ribs at 1230, ECA ribs at 1245 turned in pork at one o'clock. I mean, we were, we were hopping there for a little bit, but it, just the challenge of it was awesome. I mean, cooking IBC, I mean, I could cook all those events. They were very attractive being able to do stuff like that. Darren Worth is the pit master of Iowa's Smoky D's, and where are you going to be competing at next year? Well, I'm not sure whether I'm going to, my, my big trailer sitting down in Pensacola, Florida, hopefully it's, it's still standing as tornadoes are going through there tonight. Um, but I may run down and cook Bainbridge, Georgia. I'm not sure. Otherwise, if I don't, uh, we'll start again up in Pensacola, Florida, um, cook that contest, and then we'll cruise over for the week over to Hammond, Louisiana, and then we'll start coming back up north. You know, we're going to spend a lot of time in Wisconsin. I've already got in Wisconsin. I'm on the docker for the year. Otherwise, we're just going to make up the plan as we go. Darren, always appreciate the time, my man. Thanks so much for coming on, and we will chat again soon. Okay, sounds good. There he is, Darren Ward. I was Smokey D's. I was own Smokey D's. By the oh, look at me, took myself right off the damn thing. That's all right. Uh, yeah, he pretty much uh, told you all about the brisket. Yep, good guy. He knows how to play the game. Could there be a more laid-back guy who wins everything and almost seems like, eh, bleh.
Uh, I don't even I don't even taste that shit. I just look at it and it tells me if it's good or not. <laughs> All right, gang, let me talk to you quickly about the longest running sponsor of the show. The barbecue guru, not familiar with how they work? How about a product that, once you set your pit temperature, keeps it set all the way through the cook? Yeah, it's not fake. This is real. can happen to you right today. This is the technology. Maybe you're a busy working pro, or you're on the run with kids, you're doing errands, all that other stuff. You don't have the time to set around and tend the pit temps. The Guru can do it for you, no problem. You have a number of different models to choose from. Bob Trudnack will be on the show in a week or two, I believe. He's going to have some great news. You're going to flip out when I tell you about the great news when he comes on. Do yourself a favor. Here's the deal. Head on over to thebbqguru.com and check out their products. If you have any questions about what to order, call them directly, 800-288-GURU. They will make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. 800-288-GURU or thebbqguru.com. We're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back to 162200966. Greg at the bbqcentralshow.com, your email address. Thanks again to Darren Worth for doing the barbecue. The singular barbecue roundtable, I guess, as it were. Also, uh, thanks again to Jim Berg for coming on the show. Ice cream. What? Outrageous. But, I mean, it's it's the case, right? I mean, I love, love talking with Darren Worth. And if you've never been around him, I got the opportunity to meet him a couple years ago at a competition uh, that David Qualls used to have uh, out in Miami, Oklahoma, called Smoking at the Run. And I met him and his wife, Sherry, wonderful people. But he has, he is so uh, relaxed. And maybe that's like part of it. When you've done it for 13 years and you're successful at it and you're good at it. Maybe there isn't any stress anymore. Uh, you know, the stress is definitely internalized or coming from within. It's not worrying. I mean, I'm sure he could care less about who is set up against him thinking that anybody can beat him. I'm sure he doesn't even, he probably doesn't even realize that he doesn't think that anybody can beat him. Who can beat him? Nobody can beat him consistently. Who's cooking better than him? For the amount of competitions that he cooks, maybe one. Maybe two teams. Here's what I learned tonight in no particular order. Cook your shit tender. It counts. Number two. Dude, just rub that brisket like four minutes before you put it on the pit. No biggie. It's good. You're good. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Jim Berg, Killer Beast. You're going to want to go get that in case you missed it. In the second hour, Darren Worth broke down brisket like a mother. 
Thanks to them. SmokeyD'sBBQ.com is Darren's website. Don't forget, subscribe to this show's podcast feed. If you subscribe to the newsletter, the feed is in there. If you want it, email me and I will get you the feed. You can subscribe through iTunes, which is how most people do it. Or if you have a podcast fetcher, you can enter in the podcast feed and uh, you will get the show as it's released, this show. And then Thursdays at noon, this coming Thursday at noon, you will be entertained by the first pre-recorded effort in years for this show called the Barbecue Roundtable. No, that's not what it's called at all. The Barbecue Roundup. That's what it's called. It's a newsy program, man. It's newsy. Yeah. So subscribe to this show and let me know what you think about the first episode. Give me your thoughts, suggestions, comments, ideas, all that shit. I'm open. I'm good. All right. September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. Good night now.